and all God's people, you do say amen. Amen? Wow, what powerful worship today. I just want to thank again our worship team, our choir, Journey. God bless you guys, everyone, for helping us to reach a point today where we can hear about that Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For our guest, I'll tell you that we're in a four-week series entitled Four Portraits, One Savior. And we understand that, that four men wrote the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one presented Jesus in a different uh, way, through a different lens. And it's really important to understand they didn't have like a writing party. They didn't gather on a Friday night and say, okay, let's write the story of Jesus. At different times and different ways, they were led by God to write. And that's incredible because it gives us difference uh, in view of the Jesus that we know. And that's just what you expect if the scriptures were authentic, which exactly is what they are. In, you know, Matthew saw him as Messiah. Um, we got a picture of the cross early on. But, but he was the promised one. He was the one coming. And Peter recognized that. And then last week we saw with Mark, they saw Jesus as a servant. And, he, and the, the most incredible verse in Mark is that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And then we come to Luke. And our scripture today is Luke chapter 23, verse 30, starting in verse number 32. If you want to go and take your Bibles there. And Luke was a Gentile. It's very significant. Luke was a Gentile, and he was a doctor. And he came later on in the scene. And he got his gospel. He, he wrote his gospel by interviewing the eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. He would go and, being a professional, he did such a great job of documenting. He also wrote the book of Acts for us. But, but he, he went and interviewed folks. Well, what was it like, and, and what happened? And through that interviews, those interviews, we have what we call the Gospel of Luke. And I don't want to, particularly because he was a Gentile, I think so. He presents the Lord Jesus as Savior, as Savior. And so in Luke 23, we want to go where we've been heading now for the last two weeks, previous weeks, and that is to Calvary, to the cross. It was a Friday. It was a Friday like perhaps most other Fridays. There was great anticipation And to some degree, perhaps, an excitement in the air. It was Friday. People got up that morning expecting something to happen and perhaps not what did happen. And on that Friday, an innocent man was murdered by hatred. And the world was shocked. The date was November 22. 1963. And the man was John F. Kennedy. It was Friday. And the world was shocked. And perhaps the feeling, the emotion that coursed through the world and the nation was how meaningless, how horribly meaningless that that in hatred, a leader of the free world would be openly murdered. And perhaps of all things, that's what made it So hard, it was without meaning. But there was another Friday. And it wasn't decades ago, it was centuries ago. And there was an air of excitement, perhaps, for a different reason. They had heard that there was trouble for Jesus. Some had participated in a mock trial and cried out, crucify him, crucify him. But that day, I think probably the people, even who had cried out, crucify him, 
were mortified by what happened. I would argue, though, that unlike 1963, that one, Jesus was not murdered. And two, his death was totally filled with meaning. In fact, I would propose to you today that the death of Jesus Christ has changed the course of our world. That through the death of Jesus Christ, men and women and children and students could come into a relationship with holy God. It was a Friday like no other Friday. In Luke chapter 23, starting in verse number 32... On your sermon sheet, we've had three ways you can get the scriptures today. They'll be on the screens. I hope you brought your Bible. And also there's a sermon sheet in your bulletin. The scriptures are there also if you happen to have a copy of your bulletin. But I entitled the first, the first teaching point, Good Friday. And I, you know, I, I remember as a younger person going, what's up with Good Friday? What, why do they call it Good Friday? And, and the reason why is that because on that day, that the atonement for my sin and the sins of this world was made. It was the most difficult day for Jesus. Jennifer, we've had Jennifer with us, Jennifer with us for the last three or four days. That's my middle daughter and her, and her daughter Ellie. And um, Matt, the preacher, was down at the conference, by the way, in case you're well, where's Matt? Well, he's down at the preacher's conference. We get still Jennifer. That's the cool part. I came in on, I think it was Friday afternoon, maybe, I think. And the uh, DVD was playing and had blue seas on it, the blue earth, you know, and that, that great series about the oceans of the world. And I said, well, what's up? You know, I haven't watched it in a long time. And she said, well, I thought Ellie might enjoy the beautiful fish, you know. And so we're watching it. And I can't remember if it was at the end of that, that one or I started another one of the blue earth part. But it, it moved to shorelines and it started talking about seals and talking about the hard way, the seal pups and, and somehow that they're... Their parents were kind of like whale beasts, you know, the, the really big one, the worst beast things, would like roll over them, and, and like a lot of the population of the seals died. But those who survived eventually would go down to the shoreline, and um, they would get into the water, not realizing the danger. And every year, for this two-week period, the killer whales show up. Every year. It's like they know exactly when they give birth and how long it would take for the seals, pups to go, hey, let's go swimming. And we moved, we moved from, wow, look at the beautiful fish, to being mortified and almost like frozen. You ever had those times when you wanted to get up and turn it off, but you didn't? Well, the, the killer whales would come up, and they're huge. And they would come up on the shore, drive themselves up on the shore, and grab those seal pups, and then drag them back out into the ocean. And they wouldn't kill them. They would get them out in the ocean, and then often with a, with a smaller killer whale, a, a, a pup of their own, they would play with the seal for up to an hour or two, tossing the seal pup around and eventually killing the seal. I tell you that story not to make you go, well, thank you, Dwayne. I'm really glad I came to church today. Um, I'll leave feeling very good. But in so many ways... If only we focus on what happened here, we miss so much. Because the Roman soldiers were really good at what they did. 
And so much of the agony, physical agony of the cross took place long before he got there. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane very late at night. And of course later was arrested. The mock trial took place in the middle of the night. It was just unheard of. And our Savior was up all that night without any rest. And, and the Roman soldiers would, would spit upon him and his face. One prophecy declares that they plucked his beard out. They, they, they took him and, and they would slap him, pommel him. They, they planned a crown of thorns upon him. And any doctor will tell you this is one of the most bleeding area of your body is when you pierce your, your brow, you just bleed profusely. And they took him and they, they scourged him to the place where there really was not much body left. As if playing with him before the main event. And that's what the picture is in Luke 32. There were also two others, criminals with him, led with him, to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. That's the scene. Jesus, by any means, should have died. And it just proves one thing. That he was in control of his destiny, not a legion or a garrison of Roman soldiers. And they finally got him to Calvary where they laid him out and they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet and lifted him up and they crucified him. And he wasn't by himself. On his right and on his left were two criminals that also died that day. I hope that's a stirring story for you. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you remember made that commitment, understanding that, that you have sinned against God and that he was the atonement for our sins... And ask Him to forgive your sins. I hope it stirs your heart. But I don't want it to be just an interesting story. I want you to understand something. I told this to my friend Randy on, Randy on Tuesday night. That this book is the Word of God. And it's really cool because if you look, I often reference this in the book of Isaiah. Let, let me read some verses. I'm, I'm really trying to be cognizant of time today. But I really want to prove my point. This is, this is written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And then, I'm going to tell you about something that happened. Another copy was written decades, many decades before the birth of Jesus. So, so it was written originally and then copied and copied and copied. But keep in mind that later on, about, well, decades, 80 or 90, 100, 150 years before the birth of Christ, a copy was found. Here's what was written. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone, someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains that we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, the crucifixion, because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him 
for the iniquity, the sin of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. And the prophet Isaiah wrote that 740 B.C., 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And here's what's really cool. This proves that this book is just not a fairy tale. It's not something that got dreamed up in the last three or 400 years. In 1946, a shepherd boy was throwing rocks into a cave. He's just tossing rocks. And finally he threw a rock and he heard like a, a pot breaking. So he went home and told his dad, hey, I threw a rock in a cave and I heard a pot break. They go out there. And in, in that cave and various other caves in that region, they found copies of Scripture and fragments of Scripture that had been hidden many, many, many years before. Decades, before, decades, decades, and decades, and decades before the birth of Jesus. And in those fragments was a copy of the book of Isaiah. In fact, almost a very complete copy of the book of Isaiah. And that copy of Isaiah reads exactly like the copy of Isaiah that we have today. Now, how did that happen? It happened because this is no ordinary book. That God has preserved His Word. And you can trust what this book says. I know you can't trust every pastor. I know you can't trust every religious preacher. I know you can't trust every Christian. But there's something you can trust today on your journey for God to find you and you to find God. And that is His Word. And I want to encourage you today. Get you a copy of God's Word. I'll give you one. I'll be glad to give you one. Let the welcome desk know and we'll get you a copy. And in it you will discover that what happened 2,100 years ago on Calvary was a magnificent plan that God performed to redeem us back to Him. Because all of us have sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of death, our sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not about church. It's not about how often you darken the doors. It's not about starting or stop, stopping habits. It's not being better than anybody else. Because again, like I told you, we're all sinners. But it is about a God who loves you so much. That that God became flesh. Remember Christmas? God became flesh, lived a perfect life, and allowed himself to be crucified that the wages of sin could be fulfilled. Now, you know what's really cool? There's another big evidence. Jesus, unlike Muhammad, and this isn't Flam Muhammad Day, but unlike Muhammad, Muhammad was a warrior. The history of, of, of Islam is just flooded with blood. And yet this guy, Jesus, comes on the stage and says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If, 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 someone, if someone, the Roman soldier, compels you to go one mile and carry his pack, you carry it two miles. You know, if, if someone asks for your, for your outer garment, give him your inner garment. Really incredible teaching. And you know what? He lived it out. 
Here he is, a body that is literally torn to pieces by the Roman government. A body that's been stripped of flesh, a body with nails, and he's hanging there naked before the world, pulls himself up to breathe, and then in the agony of the moment, falls back down. In that situation, here's what that man says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. How incredible. The world is filled with people who say one thing and do another. Not this man. This man in his most agonizing moment says, Father, forgive them. Jesus Christ is the real deal. I mean, he's a carpenter from nowhere. And 2,100 years later, a huge chunk of the world believes that Jesus Christ is connected with God and is God. That's huge. And it is disturbing. Tim, you said something very disturbing. You said, he said, Nate said that, you know, one of the hardest places to reach is America. I mean, everybody in America almost claims to be a Christian. And there's a church on every corner. But somehow we've lost it. That is the fact that we were sinners and he died for us. And if we'll make a personal commitment, we can come to a relationship with God. We equate, we equate relationship with God with going to church or being better than people or not drinking or not smoking or some other crazy thing. But all has to do with our faith and believing that 2,000 years ago, 2,100 years ago, that a man who was God died on a cross that we could have forgiveness of sins. That is incredible. So I'm sure you, you know the story. You're certain that as people watched him die, it was like, oh, wow, they all realized they made a big mistake. And you know what didn't happen? I, I ran into My second point was, was, my second teaching point was casual Friday. Now, y'all, a lot of y'all know what casual Friday is. I know Sarah has casual Friday, I think, at, at the bank she works at. Okay? And that's where on Friday you can wear like jeans or something like that. There's a dress code, and on Fridays that dress code is relaxed. So... Casual Friday is a casual view of something very significant. And I'm telling you, 2,100 years ago, it was casual Friday. What did the people do that day? Here they're watching this crucifixion. It was a very, very common thing, you know. Perhaps some husbands got up. They wouldn't let the kids go. But perhaps the, the you know, dads would say, hey, I'm going to go down and watch the local crucifixions. Because normally it was really bad people. It's kind of like the entertainment. Let's just go and watch the crucifixion. So what was the people's response? Well, look with me, please, in verse number 35. And the people stood looking on. So the very same people that were before were crying, crucify him, crucify him. You know, some of them were sitting there like going, oh, man, this, I didn't think it was going to be like this. But you know what's amazing is a chunk of the people, according to Matthew 27, were walking by and shaking their heads. And throwing comments like this. Hey, you said you could destroy the temple and rebuild in three days. Why not just come off that cross and prove your God? Casual attitude. As this man named Jesus. By the way, I'm certain many of them had seen him heal people. Perhaps some of them had eaten the bread on the feeding of the 5,000 or 4,000. Perhaps they had heard his teaching and goes... 
this guy's a great teacher. So those very same people so casually are saying, come on, Jesus, you said you're Messiah, come on down. The Bible says that the rulers, even, even the rulers, said this, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ, the chosen one of God, the religious leaders were all going, come on, you said you're the Messiah, prove it. Prove it, come on down off the cross. How casual. How flippant. How arrogant. And the soldiers. The soldiers. At least they weren't connected with God. I mean, they were pagans. The Romans worshipped all kind of gods. The people, they knew about God, and, and, and the rulers certainly knew about God. But the soldiers, at least they were pagans. This is what they say. What's this? The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. Now, this is. This is significant. Sour wine was the cheap wine. It was the wine of the poor people. Soldiers weren't well paid. And I just wonder, I just wonder, if they were so, well, first off, they had the sour wine. And second, they were acquainted with the sour wine because that's what they used. Life wasn't easy for a Roman soldier. Come on, even a hardened Roman soldier had to soften the blows of what they did for a living somehow. And maybe they had a little cash of wine taking a nip on the side to soften what they were doing. And someone maybe said, hey, give some to him. He's in trouble. If anybody needs a softening, it's him. And they give him some cheap wine to drink. Their answer to pain. Isn't that what we do? Don't we have our cheap answers for pain? Some of you right today are hooked on some kind of a drug trying to soften your pain. Some of you are hooked on alcohol trying to soften your pain. Some of you go places and do things that you wish no one knew you did because you're trying to soften your pain. You're looking for something. Oh, that something is Jesus. You won't find. You will not find the answer in a bottle. And you won't find it in, in the sense of this church being the answer. But you will find it. You will find it on a cross and in an empty tomb. His name is Jesus. The government. The government had their role. They wrote an inscription that said, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. They had their input. I think probably mainly to say, look, this is what happens to people who claim to be a king. They see Jesus as a threat. Much like government does today. Much like government does today. It's incredible how casual... The world looks at the cross. And please, church, would you hear me just for a moment? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, would you give me your ear just for a moment? We must never, we must never take the cross casually. If you ever find yourself at a point where all of a sudden the cross becomes old news, run, do not walk. Get away, get the book, and get with God. Say, God, my heart is hardened. Because the cross 
no longer moves me. I'm not talking about some emotional outburst. I'm talking about a debt of gratitude that you can never pay to Jesus Christ, the one who loved you and died for you. Be careful of that. And then we move down to, to Man Friday. And you say, Man Friday. The term comes from the novel Robinson and Crusoe. Robinson Crusoe meets a guy on Friday and names him Friday. He was the man Friday. And, and the term has, over the years, come to mean a servant, a male servant, one who is especially competent and loyal. May I propose to you today that Jesus Christ is a very good man Friday. He was very competent at everything he did, including saving the world. And he was intensely loyal because every one of us would have got off the cross if we could. We would have never got there. You understand Jesus, all he do is like that, and the world's gone. But he was intensely loyal to the Father, but intensely loyal to us because he was dying for us. Every one of us. Black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter. He died for all of us. Here's what it looks like. In verse number 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him. He joined the party. Saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? Do you not understand you're fixing to die, that you're nailed just like this man is? And we indeed justly, we deserve this. We got our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. There's a debate going on between these two guys. Jesus in the middle of these two guys. Hey, if you're the Son of God, save us and yourself. Dude! Do you not understand? Do you not have any respect for God? I mean, we deserve this. This man does not. And I'm going to give you a word of hope and a word of warning. Someone here today, or perhaps on the radio, is saying today, they're saying, it's too far. Dwayne, you don't know what I've done. There is no way that God would ever forgive me for what I've done. Or perhaps you'll say, you don't understand, Dwayne, I'm 80, I'm 70 years old, I've lived a life of sin. There's no way God would ever forgive me. I want to tell you, this verse forever proclaims, there is hope. There is hope. But I must give you a word of warning also. Because some of you might be tempted to say, well, I'll just wait. I'll sow my wild oats, I'll live as I wish to. And then at the last minute, I'll trust Jesus and everything will turn out fine. You may not have that chance or that opportunity. And nor are you sure that God will be calling you at that moment. This man was. Here's how it plays out. Then he said to Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I promise you, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. That dude was forgiven. Come on now. Come on, church. That dude was forgiven. Here he is, at the, you know, hours away from, no, no, probably an hour from death. 
And Jesus says, hey, today you'll be with me. I heard your prayer. You believe me and I will forgive you. Here's what's incredible. Didn't go to church one time. Never even was baptized. Had no chance to do, quote, good kingdom work. And yet, Jesus looks and says, today you will be with me in paradise. That is a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. And that grace is available to you, to you, to you, and to you. If you're willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, His grace will be sufficient for you. The reason they call it amazing grace is because it is. It's because it is. His grace is sufficient. And it makes it very clear what our response is. I know. Some, some of you Baptists understand, yeah, well, really, there's this giant scale thing, you know, and God loves me when the skill, scale tips this way and I do the good things. God loves me more. There is no giant scale. There's no giant scale for your salvation and there's no giant scale for God's love. God loves you the same regardless. Our only part in salvation is saying yes. Do you understand that today? Your only part in salvation is saying yes. Let me expound on that. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I've sinned against holy God. Yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for me. And yes, I turn from my sins. It's called repentance. And yes, I choose to commit my life to following the One who died for me, Jesus Christ. It's a yes. You mean it doesn't involve... Well, yeah, you ought to go to church. Yeah, you ought to read the Bible. Yeah, you ought to pray. Yeah, you ought to give. Yeah, 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 yeah. But not to be saved. Not to be forgiven. But as a result of your forgiveness. Wow. Man, Friday, he was competent. He was loyal. And he forgave. A thief being crucified on a cross. Real quickly. Black Friday. Black Friday is the day after Thanksgiving when the, all the retailers go, retailers go from in the red to in the black. That's why it's called Black Friday. It's a time when you go from deficit to profit. And that day, and at this moment, the world goes from deficit to profit because of what Jesus does. Here's what it says. Now, it was about the sixth hour or noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the 9 o'clock or 3 p.m., and then the sun was darkened. This is incredible. God turns out the lights because His Son has now become sin. On Jesus Christ is every sin of every man, woman, child, or student. And Holy God cannot look upon that, so He turns His back and turns out the lights. That's why the darkness was there. And at this time, the full punishment for our sin is on Jesus Christ. The full wrath of God is poured out. Remember the wages of sin is death? It's being poured out on Jesus Christ. God in His mercy and grace simply turns the lights out in darkness. It's at this time when Jesus cries out, Father, God, God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason why is because He had become sin. Paul put it this way. He became sin who knew no sin 
that we might become the righteousness of God. How incredible. How incredible. And the Bible says then that the veil of the temple was torn in two. And this is huge, guys. This veil that they're talking about, some say up to six to nine inches thick of material. It separated the holy from the holy of holies. And one time a year, this represented the presence of God. And once a year, the high priest could go in after much preparation and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. One time a year. If you went in than that, you die. And sometimes they tied a rope around your ankle in case you offended God while you're in there. They could drag the corpse out. When Jesus Christ became sin and God's wrath was poured out and He paid the price for our sin, the Bible says the veil was torn from top to bottom. The Holy of Holies was opened up. God hung out the welcome sign and said, Now man, woman, student, child who trusts my son can come into my, relation, to in my presence and have a relationship with me. Now that is incredible. It's so significant that it was torn from top to bottom because it was all God's doing. There wasn't someone down with a really heavy pick of pair of scissors going, okay, let's cut this curtain. Top to bottom, ripped open. God hangs out the welcome sign and looks at the vilest of us and says, because of my amazing grace and the sacrifice of my son, you can come in. Black man, Sure. White man, come on in. Jew, Gentile, African, Chinese, Chicago or Harrisburg, Baptist or Catholic, rich or poor, the door is open. Come on in. And this is incredible too. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now, you've got to get this. Probably what he cried out in another gospel was, it is finished. But he breathed his last. He yielded his spirit. Remember I told you Jesus was not murdered? Come on. Almighty God, even the powerful Roman army killing God? I don't think so. Even the religious establishment killing God? I don't think so. No, no, no. No, that would, that would rob it of its beauty. Jesus said this. I have power to lay my life down. But I want you to know something. I have power to take it up again. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And he lays his life down. He yields his spirit. He wills himself to die. Grace so amazing. Grace so divine. And there's this guy. A Roman centurion. A commander in charge of 100 Roman soldiers. They don't get any harder. You don't get to be a centurion because you're a nice guy. A power. Hardened. He sees us go on and says this. Truly, certainly, this was a righteous man. And he glorified God. What he saw that day 
changed his heart. And my prayer blatantly today is, I have tried to paint a picture with words. And what you've heard today, the truth you've heard, not the sadness of the cross, because it was Good Friday. The suffering was unbearable. Him becoming sin was unbearable. But the purpose, the meaningfulness of it, that we could have forgiveness of sins, makes it beautiful. Did the Roman centurion get saved? We don't really know. I mean, he declared and glorified God that this was a righteous man. I'm not sure those words indicate a decision. I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But my more pointed question is this. What about you? What about you? Have you made that commitment and that decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Not because your marriage is bad. Not because your world's not good. Uh, not because of this and not because of that. But because today you realize that you have sinned against holy God. And God made a way you could come in a relationship with Him through His grace. And you want forgiveness of your sin and come in fellowship with God. For that reason. How about you? I was talking to my, my good friend Rod Wallace the other day. And he said something that I have used before in a message and I've said before. And I want you to think about this. The gist of what we said, and he said and I've said before, was this. So what if? What if we get to the end of the road as believers in Jesus Christ? And guess what? Whoops. It's not true. There really is not a God. The wackos on TV, they're right. There's no God. There was a Big Bang Theory. There was a glob of jelly. And somehow we evolved into who we are now. And, you know, they're just, you know they're, but there's no God. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no accountability. There's no cross. There's nothing. Well, you know what? I'll die. And I'll save my dying breath. Wow, what a good life. I will die with not one regret. Because I still lived the best life. Life possible. But what if the word is right? And it is. What if there really is a God? What if he is all powerful? And what if he loves you? And what if there is a heaven and there's a hell? And what if all of sin comes short of the glory of God? And what if the wages of sin is death? And what if you die without Jesus? You lose Everything. I lose nothing. Is that a risk that you really want to take? And I pray not. I pray today as a person, you have heard that God loves you. He's drawing you to Calvary's cross to a man who loves you named Jesus. If you ask him to, he'll forgive your sins. I'll be standing down front here in just a moment. And I would be more than glad to speak with you what the Word says. I have some friends here today who would be glad more to speak with you about how you can know Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. How you can have forgiveness of sins. How you can get a friend that will never, never leave you nor forsake you. That's what it's all about. We would love to share with you today. I'll be available after service. Walking out in front of 300 people sometimes is kind of hard. I'll be hanging around, be back at that door for a while, but... If I can help you in any way, cell phone number is 499-0070. If I can help in any way, I want to. We want to. We want to. We want to. And believers, folks in Christ, 
I hope you've been stirred today. And I, I apologize. I, I got pulled in a little late. I, I don't think it's been that long of a message. But, and I knew it was going to happen. That was not David's fault. There was just too much good stuff today. We couldn't cut anything. But if you're here today and you know Jesus, please don't ever let this grow stale. Please don't ever let what happened here become something that it never moves you. Today, would you become stirred again, stirred enough to when the door opens up for you to share with someone you will? When you're 300 feet under the earth like Todd Horton was when talking with Delana, a woman who was struggling with her life and one of our members over a year, I believe it was, shared the truth of Jesus Christ. And one Delana, one day Delana walked into Brent's office and said, I want to trust Jesus. Or like Randy, who three years ago will tell you he wasn't ready to make that commitment. But last week he stood before you and said, I will trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Be passionate. Be willing to share, whether it's underground or at the bank or wherever it might be, at school, that God loves you. He loves me. He loves you. And His grace really is amazing. Would you bow your heads right there? Thanks for listening so well today. I really appreciate that. And I really pray you heard something that's life-changing. Life-changing. I pray you'll leave here today with a better understanding of what Jesus did for those of us who know Him. And again, if I can help you discover Christ, I want to do that. And so do my friends that will be down here waiting on you. Every person in this room who knows Jesus today would love to tell you how you can know. It's the greatest decision you'll ever, ever make. Now, God, you're incredible. We thank you for Calvary, for the Christ of Calvary. We thank you before the foundation of the world, even when you knew man would sin, that you had this plan in place, the magnificent plan of Calvary. Thank you, Father, for the many friends that I have in this room who have uh, made that commitment and trusted Jesus as personal Savior. And for my friends here today who have yet to make that decision, oh, please, draw them to yourself, Father. Draw them to yourself. Let them understand that today is their day of salvation. And Jesus, I pray this in your most precious name. Amen.